Our lesson today is from the Gospel of Luke, the 12th chapter. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Word of God, word of life. God's grace and peace to all of us gathered today. Amen. So my husband Randy has been binge watching the show alone on the History Channel. Anyone else watching this? Okay, okay. So 10 people per season are dropped in remote Canada, and they can only bring 10 items of their choice with the goal of surviving on their own for 100 days, and whoever makes it to the 100 days gets a million bucks. So imagine being by yourself in the middle of nowhere, carrying everything you own on your back. You need to build a shelter, gather firewood and water daily, find food to exist to keep yourself healthy, be mindful of your surroundings, the weather conditions, and any kind of predator. Each person is given video cameras and they're required to document their experiences which then become the content for each episode. People have had to be evacuated for frostbite, starvation, trichinosis, and their sole work for 100 days is to focus on themselves and staying alive. And so I've been caught up on the show too, and what has amazed me is for those who had to call it quits before the 100 days to tap out, as the language of the show says, this is what they say. Instead of saying, I can't wait to sleep again in my king-size bed and eat a big fat donut, which I'm sure they want to do, but they say, I'm grateful to the land that has provided for them. They have thanked each animal or fish that was hunted for food. They see the simple beauty in what they have and have learned and have created. They name how unpredictable and fragile this life is. And they've really noted the gaps in their previous lives, and most especially how important the relationships are. 
The winner one season after making all that money said in his moment of glory and relief, instead of like this climax statement, he showed off the really unique bones that he was able to use as tools. A tour of the shelter he built and how meaningful it was that that housed him for all those days and a pouch made from the ox mule that he had killed with a single arrow. And he said, I'm not going to spend the money on a house or a cool car. I want to buy land and live there. Now, these people had to be self-focused, but in the end, it was not the material comfort they sought after. Now, I know this is a TV show, right? But I still find that very interesting. The last few weeks, I've been talking about the season of the church here that we call Ordinary Days. It's long, from the end of the Easter season to four weeks before Christmas. And that's just what it's called, Ordinary Days. There's no festivals or big celebrations. It's just the dailiness of life. And the color of the season is green, I think because something is meant to be growing. And here we find Jesus in all these weeks in the Gospel of Luke as teacher. And his teaching, like today, is not always easy. A brother comes to Jesus for legal advice. He feels like he's being cheated out of the inheritance that he is due. So he's hoping Jesus will set the family straight and side with his plea. I'm just realizing I don't have my mic on. Sorry. Here I go. Jesus, of course, does not offer a direct fix, but rather teaches about a man who, by the way, this guy in this story would be an amazing hire. He's productive and organized, thinking ahead to the next acquisition and the strategy for protection in the midst of the upcoming recession. But did you notice that Jesus does not give accolades to his planning acumen, to his financial preparation, to his long vision of making life better? Instead, he calls him a fool, someone without reflection or intelligence. Now, the pinch here, I really feel it, and I'm wondering if you do too, is this guy is really doing everything right in the world's eyes. I mean, his resume is solid. He gets the economy of this world. So why does Jesus say he's not rich in God? We are close to having three drivers in our family. And so we sat down and we talked about the financial impacts of this. My goodness, the cost to insure a 16-year-old, the cost of gas. And one of us thinks that you, each person gets a car. And so we talked about how do you manage three drivers and two cars. It really was a teaching moment and a reality check. You can't add to a budget without either adding to the bottom line or foregoing something else. And as we sat down and reviewed all the categories of our monthly budget, my parents' words were echoing in my mind. 
You can buy anything, but you can't buy everything. So where will the extra money come to cover car expenses? If there's no additional income, what will go to make room for this new expense? Now, it's always an interesting exercise to comb through your budget and think about what you get for the money you spend. Sometimes it's obvious, right? Housing, transportation, and food are clear. We know what the return is. But what about the line item for generosity? For giving your money away? What do you get in return for that exactly? This may sound really strange, but it's an activity that I have found really helpful, and that's to quantify it. Look at your budget and what you give to the church or another nonprofit or the money that you give away and whatever it is. And what would its equivalent be in worldly goods? A spring break vacation for your family? Money enough for another car and more insurance? Dinner out weekly or monthly? Much needed updates to your kitchen? Viking or wild season tickets? A higher percentage for you to sock away for retirement? I'm not kidding. Think about it right now. Think about it. How would you quantify in material terms the amount of money you give away? And if you aren't giving, this is a great place to start. What is it when you look at your budget that you could forego? Quantify it and give it a value and then say, am I able to do without this? Now, I'm really mindful how privileged I am asking you to do this because there's so many people who, if they cut anything with their budget, they wouldn't make it. It either means they don't eat or they don't have safe housing or they don't have enough for medical coverage. But it's not just money. It, think about time. Tori Hansen, Joe Kotz, Michelle Sotzer, Jenny Anderson, and Bruce Finley just returned with the Mount Olivet kids from the mission trip. These adults gave a whole week, 24 hours a day, to spend with high schoolers in Kansas City. Now, I have no idea what their allotment of PTO is each year, but they gave a week to invest in the lives of kids. That's real time, and that's real money. I haven't asked them yet, but I wonder what their response would be for the return of investment for the time that they gave. And it's not only mission trips. It's the time you invest by showing up at the community meal, tutoring kids at an elementary school, stitching quilts, teaching Bible explorers, filling communion cups, singing in the choir, advocating for your continued learning for racial equity, because we all hold that privilege to learn more and to know more. Leading Mount Olivet's mission and vision by time on the church council or other leadership groups, the list is long. And when you say yes to these things, you're saying no to something else. You're saying no to something else that you could do for yourself. 
We make these decisions each day. And I think what Jesus is teaching us in this story is Jesus wants to be a part of these decisions too. Jesus says this man is a fool because he's missing the opportunity he has already been given. What could he receive? What could he receive if he stopped saying, I and me? Count how many times he says, I and me in this story, and begins to say, you and us. What could be created if he took the money used to build a bigger barn and he built something for the community? What if the extra crops that came from the land could be given to a family so they could produce? What is the joy in being a part of something bigger than yourselves because you're able to do it? Who would he meet? What perspective could he gain? Who may help him along the way because he got to know them? He can't see it and he can't do it because greed has a hold on his heart. I can't tell you exactly what you will receive when you give generously, when you plan to invest in the lives of others, but I can tell you you will be rich in God. Somehow you will get back more than you can imagine, but how can, these, how can it be? These stories in the Bible are given to us because they take root in the lives back then and where life is now. Because when God comes into this world, it means God is here and now, always inviting us to think differently and to try to believe that the kingdom of God is here for all people. But it takes practice and it takes reflection. Honestly, I've never met someone who could just tithe. I've met people who said they started somewhere and each year they increased, a little increased. And then they talked about what difference that made in their lives. But I have to tell you, I think it's supposed to pinch a little bit or a lot of bit because the antidote for greed is faith. What happens when we see our lives as a gift that has already been given to us and then we get a turn at being the gifter for someone else. But still, the math won't add up. It feels too risky. But God promises and won't stop inviting us to take what we offer to make it more than we can imagine for us and for somewhere else. And that's what we do today and every time we worship. We practice what it means a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine. We call it a meal, and God promises when you take that in that you will be nourished for this life. In just a couple minutes, watch the kids here come and put coins and dollars in the basket. They can't totally get that they're letting something go for someone else to receive it, but they're wiggling already because they just can't wait to be a part of it. Jesus is teacher today and talking about money and security because greed's voice is alluring and it's soothing. It feels so good. 
make sure you're okay first. A little more for you makes good sense. You've worked hard for it. You deserve it. It would be better if you could really get that thing that you dreamed about. And God wants us to be financially savvy. God wants us to save, to take care of our families. And God also invites us to trust and invest in God. God is always pointing to what we can't see, the gift that comes by giving for the sake of another because we can. Love that gets multiplied for the richness, the richness of community. Simply put, God does not want any of us to live alone. Amen.